Are we live? <laughs> I don't see us. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Revolutionary Health, a program of the County Narrative <laughs> Project. I'm Charles Stevens, the executive director, and I'm joined with David Malbranch. How are y'all? Should I call you like David or Dr. Yeah, David? You, Is it Dr. Malbranch? It gets too wordy sometimes. So <laughs> David or Dr. David is just fine. Dr. David. Okay. Um, welcome. As always, please jump in the comments if you have any questions related to health. You know, we'd like to have an interactive discussion. But I thought we'd start with something in the news, right? With right. Grindr. Um, so as I understand it, Grindr, uh, the app will uh, create an app, uh, I guess, create a way for you to get reminders yes. about your HIV testing. So it'll remind you. Yeah. And this isn't anything new to Grindr. Like Grindr has done a lot of sexual health promotion um, with kind of like Ask the HIV Doc. Kaiser Family Foundation has worked with them and they've done some videos huh. and they put some ads in about PrEP mm. and Ask the HIV Doc in the past. So but this is, I think, the first time they've kind of advertised for um, doing HIV testing. Yeah. And I guess what they're going to kind of do is put it every six to 12 months to wow. kind of give people a reminder. So in fact, it can, you know, probably remind people like once or twice a year to get their test. What do y'all think about that? Please in the comments, let us know your thoughts about Grindr. What are your thoughts about it? What are my thoughts? Yeah. Please, you go first. I'll go first. So <laughs> I do think it's, I do think it's a good idea. I do think it's an interesting extension because back in the day, and I mean, people still do this, but a lot of, a lot of nightclubs will go, the like community-based organizations traditionally would go to nightclubs and we'd set up tables and we'd have condoms and we do HIV testing. And even now people do a lot of mobile HIV testing at the vans outside the nightclubs and bars and stuff like that. And what I hear from a lot of community members, especially a lot of black gay men that go to these bars is like, you know, when I'm going to get my groove on, when I'm going to hang out, I'm going to party, I don't feel like getting an HIV test. And there are a lot of horror stories where someone went to go out to have a good time with some friends and then they get the test and they test positive and it kind of ruins the mm -hmm. whole night. And so a lot of people don't want to do that and so I'm wondering how this is going to translate mm -hmm. to something like Grinder, where people are basically going to hook up. You're going to get a nut. And all of a sudden you see this HIV testing ad. Is that actually going to invoke you to go ahead and get HIV testing? And I think it's hard to prove that at the end of the day, like you can't prove just because they started this initiative because there's so many other initiatives encouraging HIV testing. How are you going to prove that this actually did that? Um, yes, I think it's a great idea, though. I think it's something that we need to do. I do um, want to push back a little bit because Grindr is predominantly used by white gay men. And mm. so I would actually probably say if we're going to do something and target a lot of black gay men, it probably should be on Jack. I wonder um, what the, the demographics are. So let me Grindr. tell you about that because I was just in Miami last weekend. There was okay. this uh, brilliant young brother named uh, David Williams uh, who was doing actually his very first presentation nice. on PrEP. And what he did was he compared – um, the logistics and the demographics of who uses Grinder and who uses Jack. Uh -huh. And he said that it's kind of like a reverse thing where Grinder is, I think, close to 80% white and Jack is about 80% black. So his whole thing was... But it also if, depends on where you live at, too, I imagine. Yeah, so I wonder would, if in certain locales... In certain locales, maybe it depends more. on that. But I think his point was, if we want to use Jack and wire all the people on Grinder like have all these different kind of special and don't forget about Adam for Adam and Growler. Adam for Adam and Growl <laughs> Growler. Yeah, those things are all there too. But this I think like Grind Coke and Pepsi. Oh, yeah, Gr like a lot of options. <laughs> it's, it's not scrubs. like McDonald's and Burger King, it's right? It's gross too as well. <laughs> yeah, so I mean all these things can reach, but I, I do think it's a good initiative. So I think it'll encourage more of us. And I would I would think that some of us who work with community based organizations who work in organizations who maybe do independent 
not even research, but just community level interventions that we can partner with these groups and kind of, we could buy ad space. We can put a message that we want to put across because people are using these apps. People are using them. Yeah. Um, I want to say hello to Monty. Hey, Monty, I see you watching. Hey, Anthony McWilliams, I see you in here as well. Um, but do you do you feel like it will have an impact on testing mode? Like Grinder does these reminders. And by the way, from what I understand, it's like the reminders are actually optional, so you can go into the settings and turn it off if you don't want to get reminders about testing. Yeah, and do you I think I, it's really going to move the needle. Well, it it depends. I, I think it's a hard thing to prove. Mm-hmm. Like you can't if you put up a billboard on a highway that says "Get HIV tested." Yeah. How oh, you yeah. Go, yeah? How you going to prove at the end of the day that that actually resulted in so and so many? HIV mm. test. You can't prove that. So at the end of the day, yeah. you're just throwing it out there to say a lot of people use this. We'll throw it out there, see if they see it. It may have an impact. It may not. But I don't think there's a way they can measure it unless they were to survey users and users took the time to take a survey and then said, oh, hey, you know, I did get HIV tested as a result of seeing this ad or not. See, my thing is, and I was talking about this earlier, like I feel like do we rely too much on technology to take the place of human connection? I mean, yes, I guess, okay, so the app reminds you to get tested, right, but what right. about your friends? Like, right. what about people that care about you and love right. you? Like, are we trying to substitute human relationships with technology? And is that going to make us less, em- have less empathy? Is it going to make right. us lazier in our friendships? Like, I feel like, <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to get, like, an alarm saying, okay, right. you're due for a test, but I still believe that if you have people in your life that care about you that actually reach out and say, you know, have you gotten tested? And I was like talking about that on Facebook, like how I don't have people in my life really discussing testing with me mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. Um, or even saying, you know, Charles, and I haven't gotten it tested in a year, actually. Mm-hmm. It's been about 12 months, right. but I've been like, but yeah, I have mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm like, I, I need to get a test. The last test I got was a home-based test, actually. Okay. Um, from Walgreens, mm-hmm. plug. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was fine. But, yeah, I still think that it's important for us as Black gay men to really have that conversation. Like, And it doesn't have to be judgmental. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, you know, like a sort of, it doesn't have to be shady. It could just be from a place, it, it could be a discussion. Absolutely. And I don't think mm-hmm. it has to be either or. So, like, instead of a reminder, mm-hmm. you can put something on there where it's actually a more human message, where someone's actually talking to you. Like... You know, hey, I see you on this, this, and the other. You know, think about it. You know, check with your friends. Check with yourself. Have you been HIV tested? And so instead of just a click reminder that pops up automatically that's driven by you signing in on the app, you actually um, have a human being video recorded saying some things that will remind you to do that. So then you kind of have it. Of course, that's not going to take the place of a friend or someone who's close <laughs> to you who reminds you. And, you know, a, a lot of research has shown that um, it's usually peer norms that encourage us to get tested. So if your friends are getting tested then you're going to get tested if you're HIV negative, if you're HIV positive, if your friends are on meds and getting follow-up, that's going to determine what you do. So it does depend on your mm-hmm. social circles in that respect. Have you ever gone to, like, gone with a friend to get tested? I have that's in the past, yeah. And I've had friends come with me to get tested in the past. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, so. You know, I never talk about this, but one of my best HIV testing experiences when I was getting a test was actually at a local CBO here in Atlanta. It was at NASA. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Nasum. Shout out to Nasum. Yeah, like, well, this was many, many years ago. So, mm-hmm. um, I think I was in college still. And it was back when they were on MLK. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, well, they were um, further up MLK on like Westlake. I think they're still on MLK. Right, right. And I went, I made the appointment. This is like, 
back when we, it took a week to get the results. Like, mm-hmm. I'm totally aging myself, but it's mm-hmm. fine. I'm aging mm-hmm. myself. Um, but yeah, like, it was just such an amazing experience where um, during the post-test counseling, I forget the, I hate that I forgot his name. Now, this is like, again, back when I was in college, it was like maybe 2002 or something. Right. But um, he was such an amazing counselor. Like, it was one of the best experiences. He... Um, had great empathy. Mm-hmm. And, it, and mind you, this is also before there was like a interventional curriculum around how to do a test. Mm-hmm. And it was just, and it was, yeah, it was probably one of the best testing experiences I've had because it was, someone cared and they, I mean, just caring, but he really, really um, just took an interest, mm-hmm. which contrasted so much from the first time I had gotten an HIV test mm-hmm. when I was like 15 or something. I was like 16, I think. Right. And I went to the, what was the Atlanta Gay Lesbian Center and it was like, they just gave me the result. It was like, all right, all right, right see you, essentially. Right, right, right. So um, I've had a lot of different experiences, but in terms of the reminder piece of to bring it back around, I, you know, I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're in an age now where we get appointment reminders and, uh, you know, tech is just such an important, it's so integrated you know, artificial intelligence is so integrated into our lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my concern is always, you know, is that taking the place of just concern? Oh, I see Anthony waving. Right. Um, oh, someone else just joined us. Um, Yakim, I'm sorry I'm not pronouncing your name right. Thanks for joining us. So, again, you know, talk to us about your testing experiences. Would you set your, if you're on Grinder or Jack or Adam for Adam or Growler Rough. or Scruff or whatever you're on, if they, had an application where you could get reminders for testing. Um, is that something that you would do? Or, you know, is that something you encourage your friends to do? Um, to get people reminders? do reminders on their phones to take their meds, whether it be blood pressure, HIV, mm-hmm. diabetes, whatever like that. So it may just be a logical extension of it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still kind of wonder if people just want to go on, if apps, <laughs> if it, it, is there ways that we can integrate sexual health into into apps where it's not like too so, much? So robotic. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> but I mean, I think there's going to be a happy medium. I think there's going to be a breaking mm. point where we get too technologically advanced. Mm. And eventually we're going to have to circle back to these kind of human connectedness pieces. Or the computers could just take over the, the they machines. Could. Like, they could. They could be Terminator 2. Right. Exactly. That's I mean, I know, I know about Terminator. <laughs> Living Hamilton warned us. Sarah Connor. She told, us it, she told us it was coming. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Ex Machina? Oh, I did. That was so good. Yeah, where they they actually took mm-hmm. that over. She actually got smarter than all of oh, them. She liberated herself. She yeah, liked, yeah. It was, was like good, fuck that. Yeah, Ex Machina is a great movie. That movie, get and you know, it's also in her. Did you see that? Yes, one? her was great too. Yeah, I thought like about all those. It's, mm-hmm. it's so in the yeah, and it's yeah. I think that's definitely direction. I think in the future it's going to so be so eventually. Siri and uh, who's the other one? Alexa. Alexa, they're going to be like, you know, Charles, you know, get, get, get tested, you know, and all that. Is that what we're moving <laughs> but to? Charles, get out. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're taking over. I would be so triggered by that. You right. know, I don't, I don't, I, uh, there's something very Eurocentric about that. I know. Get out, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, Walter. Walter joined. I mean, are there other ways that, I don't know, like, so what is the role of apps then in sexual health? Like, do you have like, thoughts about, like, what should be the role 
Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good option, just like anything mm-hmm. else. So I think it, there are certain people that will use apps more. There are certain people that are going to use apps less. So to me, if you like using apps, it's a good option to use. Um, I don't think it should necessarily take the place of kind of the human connectedness of doing something else, mm-hmm. of the human reminders of like circling yourself with friends who will remind you or be encouraged to talk about your sexual health or you keeping up on getting HIV tested or if you're positive, taking your medications. Yeah. Like, I think you do need to have those reminders um, there's a way to have both. Some people like the impersonal mm-hmm. part of it. They don't want to be bothered by the human beings. Other people, <laughs> I'm serious. And so some you, people, but, don't no, like but that. then you go down to the doctor's office, and then you mad when the people are, don't have good. I, I mean, uh, it's what it's what it is. But I think personal. I think at the end of the day, you give people options. They're going to exercise the options they use. I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way about it. I don't know. I mean, I do like self checkout at right. some of the grocery stores. So I, 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 you know, you there's sometimes with it. There's a place for technology. There's a place. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you about something. I wanted to ask you about, I mean, okay. So I think my other issue is I'm always amazed at how the messaging, even on the apps and stuff, the advertising seems so different Mm -hmm. in the conversations that I hear black gay men having. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like there's always such a distance between the messaging that you hear, um, even promoting sexual health. It just always sounds so different in the conversations. And so it's, and, you know, and of course, I don't know if they focus group these mess- this messaging to death or whatever, but I'm just like, how do we ensure that the messaging, even that we might receive on Grindr, on Jack or Adam and all these places, that it just feels more authentic, that it feels more realistic about, like, so that the sexual health that we're, education that we're getting right. speaks to the sexual, the sexual, our sexuality, our sexual experiences. Right. Like, I think there's such a gulf and how do we bridge that? Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting, I was given a presentation. Hey, um, Marcus Stanley. Outside of uh, Springfield, Missouri the other day. And we were talking about some of the advertising. I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day, the Philadelphia Department of Health actually had an advertising for HIV mm-hmm. testing that was a brother kind of looking down and he had, it's kind of like, what do you say when you look through a rifle and you kind of see that? Oh my God. Um, where the target is on it. And it said, have you been hit? Um, it says, if not take the test, something, something, something. And I remember when it came out in Philly, this is about five or six years ago. There was a huge uproar about it because I mean, it put like a black man's face in the crossfire and it was just awful. And I remember when Johnny, what's up with Philly? The the community pushed back, but it was, it, (laughs) it was a marketing campaign from a private industry that consulted with the department of health. And they supposedly got focus groups of black gay men to approve this ad and the black gay men approved it. And I, I just didn't believe that at the end of the day. And I thought it was crazy. But I mean, it's like, um, ooh, but what, it, okay, so, but that was, that was like six years ago. My point was, yeah. was that there's actually, I looked at the UK and the UK has a wonderful HIT, HIV testing campaign now where they actually have two brothers laying in bed and mm-hmm. it says me period him period us. And it's about getting tested because it's good for both of us. So it kept, mm-hmm. keeps both of us informed. And the two brothers are kind of just sitting there laying in bed chilling. Mm-hmm. And it's really a nice romantic kind of loving piece. And I, I just think those kind of messages are a lot better received. Mm-hmm. And I, you could tell it came from a black man in the UK, a black gay man mm-hmm. in the UK who came up with that rather than someone who was just sitting in a boardroom who was not black, who was deep in anti-blackness and white supremacy and decided to say, oh, we're going to get this out and this is going to look good. But have, actually... you ever, but have you actually ever been in a focus group, though? Like, I've been in focus groups and with black gay men, and I don't know There's I don't know if it's something about the masks that we wear or the performance of respectability politics, mm-hmm. but the com- even the conversations that we have in, in focus groups just sometimes feels very different than how we talk. Inauthentic? 
it yeah and again you know, i don't know if it's that when we see a white person waving a gift card at us or something we feel like we have to i mean no there is this culture sometimes right. of right. like where we we're paid for our pathology we're paid for our pain and i don't know if it's that we're so used to doing that we feel like doing that performance performance yeah. Yeah. and i'm sitting and i'm usually when i'm sitting up there like i'm always the like the, the contrarian because mm-hmm. i'm just like no 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 why are we doing this right <laughs> yeah i just i think there's other ways to do it so i think it's got to come from us the messaging has to come from us well trina scott saying hey beloved um anthony <laughs> anthony antoine says i may be the odd man out i'm sure no surprise but outside of professional life i've taken many friends for hiv testing we should normalize that experience amongst us and if we can talk so explicitly about our sexual activities Amongst my friends, we must hold each other accountable for testing and treatment. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Anthony. Thanks, That's Anthony. So yeah. I mean, I don't know if HIV. I don't know if HIV testing is ever going to be normalized. Um, because I just, I mean, I it's. I mean, well, those are the words. Those are the words in the articles. Like when they interview, mm-hmm. and most of them were gay white men that they interviewed who are physicians were saying that well, this normalizes the process because it's on Grinder. And I was like, well, it's not really normalized. What does it mean to normalize? Yeah. I don't understand what that means yeah. either. But I also think that we can't do this thing, do this dance where we consider just because people with HIV are living longer lives and there's a there's medications that work and we can treat it. They say, oh, it's just like every other chronic disease. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's bullshit. It's not like every other chronic disease. P- someone gets breast cancer, they get an immediate sympathy card. Someone gets colon cancer, immediate sympathy th- card. Even heart attacks, you get an immediate sympathy card. Someone gets HIV and people are looking at folks saying, well, what did you do to deserve that? Or were you sleeping with a lot of people? Why didn't you wear condoms? You should have known better. Absolutely. And so while the parallel can be made that it's a chronic disease that can be managed over time, like these other chronic diseases, the stigma, the stigma societal absolutely. and otherwise is, is drastically different. So I think we have to keep that in mind as we try to, quote unquote, normalize HIV. I don't think it's going to be normal. It's almost like saying with like people, mm-hmm. um, I don't see color. <laughs> and so when people say like, oh, I'm not racist, I don't see color. And I was like, I want you to see color. Like, you should see color. Absolutely. You shouldn't let it dictate how you treat other people. But if you can't see color, you must be fucking blind. Like, like what's going on? Why is it always like the black guy that only dates white men? This is it. I don't see, I don't see color. Except and it's, when it's I mean, a white it's no guy shade, It's no out. shade, though. It's right. no shade. Right. Um, <laughs> Which means shade. No, it's no shade. <laughs> Which means complete I'm just, shade. I'm just making an observation. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. But you know where I thought she was going to go? Where? Do you remember that ad back in the day from San Francisco? Don't be a bitch. Use a condom. Did you ever see that I ad? I never saw there that There was an ad that the San... I think it was in San Francisco. And it was a picture of this black man, like, you know, in urban gear. And it was like, don't be a bitch. Wear a condom. And I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's funny. I went to... Um... I went to a conference a couple of weeks ago in Miami with the AETC. Uh, shout out to Sean McIntosh if he's out there. Did a wonderful job. There was some amazing energy um, with the Miami AETC in Fort Myers. And they, were, they weren't close to Miami or Tampa. They were kind of like right in the middle, but some really amazing warriors doing HIV and wow. sexual health work over there. Mm-hmm. And there were these two women, both of whom were white women, had um, been living with HIV, I want to say each of them for about 30 years, told their stories, and we're talking about how words matter. Mm-hmm. And so they're showing some of these ads, and there's one ad that had a young black girl, and it said, from her, oh, she got her eyes from her father, she got her HIV from her mother. Yikes. And that was like back in the day, like in wow. the 80s, and it was just crazy. And so they wow. were talking about how words matter when we say mm-hmm. things like Absolutely. HIV infected versus HIV positive or living with HIV. Um, when you say things like, um, mis- we talk about mistrust versus distrust, perceived versus experience, and how words actually matter when you're mm-hmm. talking about health, context, uh, race, sexuality, I mean, gender how, orientation, how real like is they it? really matter. But for so many of us, especially as black gay men, before we even... 
come to a place of accepting our sexual identity or coming right. to a healthy space around identity development, we're faced with HIV stigma very often. Like it, it's like you're, it's it's almost like before we even fall in love and before we have the experience of sexuality, we're afraid of our sexuality because right. so much of it's been rooted in fear based. Yeah, when I when I was coming up, it was the first thing I remember working uh, my summer after my freshman year in college, working at a. Uh, at a hospital in a custodial mm-hmm. crew and they were like be careful with how you're washing things and how you're cleaning patients rooms and they they listed over the four h's they were mm-hmm. like homosexuals haitians heroin addicts and hemophiliacs and i was like well wow. damn i'm haitian you know i'm a first generation haitian and i'm homosexual like what's going on like wow. so, and the, the association was like you will have it because of this so yeah, yeah it was really interesting wow. back then so like my whole section and this is when i was like 17 18 years old so my whole it was like 80s Seven, yeah, 87, 86, 87. So, like, my whole sexual upbringing when I was starting to find out, like, I, I really was getting comfortable about liking fear. men was all about fear. Mm-hmm. And so sex was always about fear. Yeah. And I think, and I wonder, I mean, you can't talk about, and maybe that should be a part of sexual, like, sexual health education. Like, mm-hmm. at what point do you decolonize yourself from the fear, from right. the guilt and the, and I think so many of us, I think there's a, a, a perception that once you become an activist and you're all like black men loving black men as well as act and you're all on that, that the fear just goes away or the shame and the stigma. And I think very often we still carry it with us. It doesn't. Yeah. And mm-hmm. a lot of the sex messages we get from like public health spaces, even in social media spaces are all about fear. And so we don't talk about sex as a pleasurable experience. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about sex as an affirming experience. We don't talk about sex outside of intercourse and kind of what other options. And I mean, we talked about this before on here, but like some of the other things that people do and how sex should be pleasurable. And I remember the CDC came out with some guidelines for medical providers about taking a sexual history and they call them the five P's and not in one of those P's is the word pleasure. Oh, wow. And so (laughs) to me, I was like, why don't y'all step up your game and extend it to six P's if you're going to do that? Because instead, because they were like, Partners, protection. What to be fair, David? I mean, kind of stuff. It, it, the sex radicals don't exactly go work in the CDC. You know what I'm saying? Like it's obviously. <laughs> and we love, we love, you know, we love our no our change, no CDC, change to the CDC. But it's not. I mean, the the cutting the people that's on the cutting edge, like of, oh, of sexuality, sexual progressiveness. Don't, yeah, right. I mean, because I think it's also hard to be in a bureaucracy, especially mm-hmm. work for the government. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is a responsibility to to not reproduce these this horribly stigmatizing based language. Absolutely. And I don't know, like. I know. I always want to hold them accountable. You always tell me not to, because... You should hold them accountable. You always hold them accountable. I'm, I'm trying to hold people accountable. You have to. That's the way it has it's to be. It's not good for my mental health. Whatever. It's okay. Um, Anthony had a comment. Can you imagine the update? You've been on Jacked 22 hours this week. I think it's time for HIV. T- yeah, I don't like stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm not on. But yeah, I, I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see if people like... It'll be interesting to see if people respond to it. Again, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you can prove that someone gets HIV tested because they see mm-hmm. a reminder on Jack. I, I just... You can't. Maybe, maybe. But does it doesn't hurt, maybe? It doesn't hurt, but you can't prove anything. <laughs> you, but I think it's a good idea to kind of remind people about that. But I think it would be better to promote some kind of more humanistic sexual health messages rather than just, oh, you have to get an HIV test mm. from there. So. Uh, Anthony also says, we have to remember that black gay men from ATL are different than, say, black gay men from Macon or Augusta. Traveling Georgia and conducting focus groups among black gay men in different locations, I've met black gay men who like those scary, scare tactics type ads. But Anthony, we got to liberate them. Yeah. Like, the people that say they like the scare tactics and they say that they work, we got to liberate them. We got to, like... <laughs> Bring back the drop squad and, and get in the van and like decolonize, you know, de- get, de- you know break out the bell hooks and the Essex Hemphill. Right, no, right. seriously, like I know that the power of internalized, and I know people do say like, because I've been, I mean, you know, I've been doing HIV work for like 
Jesus. Yeah. However long. As long as the rest of us. Yeah. And I mean, I've been in groups where they say, you know, these sort of like Willie Lynch letter type things was like, you know, you got to scare them and nothing works but fear. And I'm like, no, baby, that that's obviously. So, I mean, some people it does. Some people I've heard a lot of people say that. But see, I don't they, believe that. But it, the people that say it works for the Bible, they believe them. Well, some people say, and it's not even the fear tactics from that's like, like the people, no, That's like the people that say, I'm glad that my mama beat me every day with extension cords. It means you're a better person. No, I don't, I don't know if it's exactly that. the same. Like, I've heard people say that they work in a hospital and when they saw patients that were coming in, really sick from complications of AIDS, mm. then that scared them. So not necessarily a that, messaging, and those are two... I think that's trauma, though. I think it is trauma. It is trauma. trauma. And I think with Black folks, you know, there's this thing with, with Black people where, you know, I always... the Part of the logic of white supremacy is right. punishing Blackness. Right. It's like this society, this culture loves to punish Black people. Yep. This perversion of white supremacy. And I think that because we're punished so much, I think that we absorb it. It's Absolutely. like we think we deserve to be punished. Absolutely. And I think when we absorb that into our sexual, our, our sort of sexual um, consciousness, I mean, we wonder why there's such tremendous pain and in, in these like very stigmatizing messages that continue to proliferate in 2018, right. even somewhere right. like Atlanta, where it makes absolutely no sense. And even why, the reasons why we treat each other sometimes the way we do. And even why we treat um, each other the way we do. Yeah, it all becomes internalized. I don't think we do that yet. You're right now. <laughs> Damon, I didn't want to talk about something else. Another, I'll topic. make it. I'll make it brief. Um, and so I know we don't have much time, but I wanted to actually tell a story. Send it a little bit, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I had a good friend of mine, um, a close friend of mine that I really care about deeply, call me on Thursday and told me he had just gotten uh, through with a workout a day or two before, and lives in New York. Uh, went with a trainer, hadn't been a trainer for a long period of time. And really had an intense workout and said he was sore and he was kind of lying in his bed and really felt sore. And then it snowed in New York. So he went out and shoveled um, and did more shoveling after that. And then he called me on Thursday and we talked and he said, you know, I really can't move out of bed. Like my muscles are so damn sore. I can't do anything. And then he mentioned to me, he said, oh, and when I went to the bathroom, what really scared me is I started to pee and it came out like really, really dark. Um, like a dark brown, almost blackish color. And when I heard that, I immediately knew what it was. And it's this condition called rhabdomyolysis. Mm -hmm. um, Wait, say that one more time? Rhabdomyolysis. Rhabdomyolysis. And so basically it's a breakdown of the muscle tissue into mm -hmm. the bloodstream. So usually it happens when people are in the sun for a long period of time, sometimes marathon runners. Or when I've seen it clinically, like the four or five times I've seen it both in personal friends and in the hospital, is when someone has not worked out for a little while and then they go to a trainer, they do a really intense workout. Um, what it is, is that all this muscle tissue starts to break down, all the enzymes flood into your bloodstream, wow. and then they go through your kidneys and they can cause acute kidney injury and even acute kidney failure where you need to be on dialysis and your kidneys go into failure. So it's nothing to joke about. And so I told him when he told me that his urine was really dark, I said, dude, get to the hospital immediately because what you do, they just hook you up to an IV and they just give you fluids, mm -hmm. IV fluids for like, four, five, six days, sometimes they keep people in the hospital. And so the, the lab value that we talk about here is what's called the creatinine kinase or the CK. And it's a, it's a measurement of mes muscle breakdown tissue from skeletal muscle. And the normal value for any human being, if you just got it tested, is less than 250. Okay. And his value was 250,000. Jeez. So he was way, way over what it wow. should be. And that's why his muscles were so sore. And he's gotten out and he's back at home that's and he's great. feeling fine now, which is a blessing. And that's I'm really happy he's wow. doing well. Um, but I think it was a, and I've seen this happen to a few people before, like friends mm -hmm. of mine here. Mm -hmm. And also a student recently, his CK level, I think was 80,000, but 250,000 yeah. is ridiculously high. Mm -hmm. And so 
I tell people out there, like a lot of us are concerned about our bodies. Yeah. A lot of us concerned about muscles. Absolutely. A lot of us fall out of care or we don't um, do exercising as much. And then we try to go back in. And even if we're a little bit older, even if we're younger, like in our 20s, we think we can just go back in and immediately start working out again. And what I try to tell people is that, you know, sometimes when you work out too hard, it actually can be detrimental if you don't mm. kind of ease your way back into it. And the the lesson that I learned from like seeing these experiences, especially seeing what, what my friend went through recently, is that you should be sore after an intense workout, right? Whether mm. you're doing weight training or you're running or you're doing, um, what do they call those? They're almost like cults where you go and do all the gym Like stuff. CrossFit? Like CrossFit, yeah. Like right <laughs> around the... <laughs> They can be kind of Although we are not, we're not stigmatizing. No judgment, no judgment, no, no saying. Right, okay. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, you know, when you get in that intense thing and you do, you can feel this peer pressure. Like, oh my God, all these people are really working out hard. They're doing all these push-ups, push-ups. I got to push myself. And people will be like, push, push, push. Yeah. And when you go home, you think, oh, I should be sore. Wow. But the level of soreness, if it's something where you can't even get out of bed or your wow. muscles are just aching three, four, five days later, yeah. that's not normal. So go and get checked out. Um, because it's really something when you think about it, if you do something like that, an intense workout, and then you go into kidney failure and have to be on dialysis, mm -hmm. that's the rest of your natural born life. So wow. to people watching and thinking about like going back into exercising or wanting summer, to step out. Summer's around the corner. Yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to get your six pack abs. Pride, you're trying, pride season trying to get your that. back bigger, mm -hmm. trying to do all this kind of other stuff. Like just be careful when you go back into it. Try, try to take your time and like escalate up until you do some of these intense workouts. Don't go mm -hmm. right from zero to 60. <laughs> Amen. Thank you Amen. for that. Yeah, so I just want to mention that. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're watching this on Facebook, please make sure you like our Facebook page. And also, don't forget to join our email list at thecounternarrative.org. Um, what else? What else? Uh, if you have any topics, things you want to hear about, um, yeah. anything else you want to talk about, let us know. Um, any ideas for the future? I know we're here Thursday night at eight o'clock. That was because all of us were gone. Oh my god, we were traveling. It was so Tuesday. We're Tuesday all night. in different places. I think <laughs> I just got back yesterday. I got back today. I just got back today. I got back this morning at one o'clock in the morning. Serious? Where were you? At? And you got. I was in Missouri. I was in, Missouri? in Springfield, Missouri. I was. Yeah, I just got back like this evening. Johnny just got Johnny back just got first back thing this morning, one a.m. Like the same time. It's so, crazy. but we're usually going to be here on Tuesday nights at. Seven. You know, I got in my mind. I was like, maybe we could figure out how to do some kind of filming thing. And, and I was just like, I just. I, I like it live. Of, I like it I live. like it live, too. Yeah. yeah. And uh, folks are liking us. Um, I see a few more comments. Thank you, Charles. They've been encountering narrative of these live discussions. It's part of the work. Thank you, Anthony. I'm going to try to hate it, everybody. Um, yeah. So, again, check us out Tuesdays at, I, thought, I think, I was thinking about 1 to 8. Whatever time. We'll let you know. What do y'all What do y'all think about starting at eight? Let us know. We've been doing Tuesdays at seven, but um, we may push it back to eight. Yeah, whatever's gonna be easier for y'all. Whatever's gonna be easier for y'all. <laughs> All right. Um, are there any shout outs that we need to do? Some good shout outs to people. Yeah, I know, but I I think shouting out the past couple of um past couple of weeks, I've been in Fort Myers, Florida, and with the Miami community, and I do want to shout out some of the amazing sisters that are doing work with the AIDS Training and Education Center oh, I love, um, I in, love them. in Missouri. Um, yeah. Ashley, Tuesday, uh, Beta, and Simone, yeah. who took care of me while I was out there, they drove... 
they drove me in a van two hours from Springfield to the place where I had to do my plenary that speech. Is incredible. And they're absolutely phenomenal. And they had a whole conference on case managers, social workers who work in HIV, in the HIV field. That is incredible. And the case managers, social workers, shout out to all of you out there who are doing amazing work, underpaid, um, overworked, and really kind of the heart and soul of a lot of our clinical absolutely. services to people living with HIV. So thanks to all the sisters that were out there in Missouri. Um, that took care of me while I was there, and shout out to all the social workers and case managers who do the amazing work y'all do. Yeah, I never did. I never did case management. I was an outreach worker though. It's tough. It's yeah, tough. It's really. I mean, it's not the hours the case loads. Absolutely. Right. You know, I'm just grateful for you know, of course, the counter narrative universe and just the amazing team that we have. Um, and it's just been a really you know incredible week. I just I was in a meeting in DC with some great folks myself. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and we had a uh, shout out to Monty Wolf. We Hey, Monty. A, uh, program. Was it Wednesday? Tuesday. Everything's a blur. Tuesday. What's it? Is today Thursday? Today I don't know what the other week is. Apparently, self care isn't great. Mm. We had a program called Protections Black Women of Vulnerability, and it was a really great night of storytelling and discussion and dialogue. And, you know, as you know, um, such an important part of the counter narrative project, I would say it's really in the DNA of our of our organization is that storytelling is indispensable to social change. Even this revolutionary health sort of experiment is about telling stories. Telling stories. So we believe that that's the core of our work in Monty um, and our partner, Brave Soul Collective, um, just did this amazing event of monologues and narratives and storytelling that really, I think, captured our experiences. And, you know, and most importantly, highlighted the human dignity of black women. I think so often in narratives, particularly in public health, we're robbed of our humanity, we're robbed of our human dignity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that what's powerful about our stories is when we're able to to restore that in a sense, to, mm-hmm. to like to lead with that, to amplify. I mean, I mm-hmm. think the ultimate narrative to be countered, I think in many ways is to, again, just to highlight our humanity. Cause I think that um, the dominant narratives about black women are often in, you know, statistics. Yeah, it's just about telling technology. telling our stories all the time. Like we're steeped in oral tradition. Yeah. So however we can tell our stories um, and get our stories out there, whether it be YouTube, social media, pen and paper, pen and paper, uh, printing on, you know, the feminist wire, the root.com, NBC these, news, NBC news <laughs> all these kind of online journals or even paper publications. I think whatever way we can get our stories out there, because if we don't tell our stories, Someone else's. Oh, speaking of stories, I have one more. I have some gossip. Okay. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but there was a, apparently there was someone in the news that wanted to write a story about the the DL. Like today, Mm -hmm. was trying to get people to like talk to them about a story about the DL. Did I talk to you about this? No, you didn't. No, because someone hit me up. They got to you too? Well, well, no, no, no. I think they changed it because (laughs) they said they wanted to talk about HIV in Atlanta, uh, PrEP, and the DL. And, like, and, I, and I responded back to them. I said, well, let's talk about HIV in the community and we can talk about PrEP. I said, but the DL, didn't we squash that? And since wow. the rates among women predominantly are going down or plateaued, there's not really a conversation why, that why we had about that. I don't know why people are still talking about can the you explain? Maybe Do y'all know, why is the DL still a thing? Like, I thought it was already, I thought you and Keith Boykin and them debunked it. Like, yeah, Greg Millett. Greg did, Millett. Greg Millett did a ton of work on that. Keith Boykin wrote an amazing book, um, Debunking the Download Myth. You wrote a letter to Oprah. I wrote a letter to Oprah. <laughs> we should resurrect that. We need to resurrect we that. We should. I also wrote a letter but that didn't get <laughs> well, this wasn't, but it was an essay called The Black Dick as Weapon of Mass Destruction. 
and the bush years. And it was about it was about the bush years, and it was about the wow. whole down low narrative and about these weapons of mass destruction. Was there a particular dick, or was it like it was just all dicks? Okay, weapons of mass destruction. Okay, I feel you. Did One they, day, when, maybe next time when we're on revolutionary come, health, we can start off with reading that. Um, so it's come, a narrative. Did it, so that's what Saddam was hiding. In Absolutely, his, he was hiding. <laughs> that's why we went to war. Like he was hiding. Like they, we had to go. To war. <laughs> I think it's time to go. I think it is. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you for joining us. Um, I think we need to start doing a disclaimer that this is uh, like not safe for work. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you for joining us. And until Tuesday. Thanks, um, you guys. All right. Take care. Bye.